Hello, Meppers, our old friends. We've come to Mep with you again. Because the emu is not flying. And our Garfunkel is not dying. Everyone knows that. We've got some jokes to tell. We might as well. Mep report. Better than silence. Left my home back in Omaha. See if I can make it out in the world. And I got as far as Wichita. Suddenly I wasn't sure. Anymore Lost all my friends In Los Angeles And I'm not welcome In New York But I must stop Back in Omaha Where the fans They always crying out For Welcome to Mep Report number 93, October 19, 2007. What's going on, everybody out there? Uh, all those in our listening audience, um, we wanted to let you know that um, recently um, Clea has had some alterations done, and so the person you're going to be hearing is her. Um, but just, no, I can't keep that up. No, actually, we, we want to welcome in our friend Kevin, uh, who is filling in for Clea tonight. Clea is down in the city doing a show, and so uh, Kevin is going to be with us. Kevin's been on the show, I think we said back in May of last year, I yep, think. that's right. And so Kevin is back with us, so uh, welcome, Kevin. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah, you can't see this, but he's very set, because not only do we have, like, the two monitors in Eagle Studios, but he's also got his Mac, uh, you know, like, set up on his lap. So he's got that on top, and then he's got these other three things. So wow. we are so wired, like, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't even put a... I don't. You couldn't be more wired. Which, by the way, I just wanted to say. I know we have a lot of different things to talk about tonight, but St. John's has just announced again that it is the most unwired campus uh, in the you know, or the second, or it's listed as one of the ten top unwired campuses in the country, or something. Which you know, I understand everyone wants to do sort of wireless networking and all that, but considering that some of the stuff at St. John's doesn't necessarily work the way it should, I wonder if unwired is necessarily the message they want to send. Like, we're the 10th most unpowered campus, like, unmaintained, un, you know? That was actually, <laughs> like, that's funny. That on the office last night, um, Jim and Pam stayed at uh, Dwight Schrute's Beet Farm as a bed and breakfast, <laughs> and he brought them into one of the suites, and he said, we've recently become wireless. And he's like, I'll fix that as soon as Moe's you know, stops hiding all the wires because they don't have any power of any kind at all. Wireless, so. <laughs> that that works. That works. So it's something like yeah. that. So, but yeah. we are not that way here. We are we are unwired and we are ready to go. Um, before we get started, though, we should um, very quickly play a voicemail that we got. Now, I have a suspicion that I know who this is, and maybe the MEP listeners can kind of you know agree with me that we know who this is, but I'm not sure. So we're going to play this now uh, and have you guys listen to it, and then let us know uh, who you think it might be. So, so here's the message. Met, 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 Now, I guess... I'm, I'm fairly sure that this is someone that I've never heard speak in my entire life. Oh, that's certainly true. I'm going to go ahead and say that. 
I think this is Chad. So therefore, I, mean, I would who, have a hard time with this. This okay. makes sense that it's Chad, because we said, please call our, our voicemail. Chad probably didn't have anything specific to say. He just wanted to contribute by saying MEP several times in a pattern. I or it could a be a message. It could did be aliens, too. Did we actually post the episode yet where we solicited people to yeah, call we did. into the thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, yeah we did. Oh, okay. No, we did. You, you did. I listened to it this week. <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> See? Fair enough. So that's probably what it was. So we want to I'm thank whoever that was. i these things. I can't be expected to keep track. <laughs> to actually listen to them yourself. <laughs> I see how it is. It's one so, or the other. Is this like an SOS type thing, though? I mean, is this like a, you know, like is this something where, I don't know, like I was just trying Do to figure out. you know what out this reminds me of? What's that? Have you ever, have you guys ever seen the crappy space horror film called Event Horizon? I've heard of that, but I've never seen it. Have you seen it? Nope. Event Horizon. Okay. Isn't that this with George is a, Clooney or something? No. Much, oh, okay. much worse. Lower grade. <laughs> think lower. I see. In fact, I'm trying Chris to think Farley? of the name of the actor <laughs> who stars much worse, in though. it. He was in the only major role I can remember him in. He was in The Hunt for Red October. He played the second in command to Sean Connery, if that helps. You know that guy? Oh, jeez. He's a good character actor. He's like very middle of the road, very average looking. But in this film, he plays a scientist who builds a ship with some type of warp drive, not stealing from any other million sci-fi stories. But his warp drive, warp drive. instead of opening up... <laughs> yeah, the ability to have the ship go at light speed, it opens right. up a portal to hell. And so the ship goes to hell, the initial crew dies, the ship comes back with no crew on it, and then there's a rescue mission where the movie starts to salvage the ship. And what they find in the logs on the ship is they find someone had recorded a message amidst like all kinds of crazy demonic screaming and howling right. and flesh being torn up and stuff. Sure, and sure. the message... <laughs> The message was actually like exactly like this. The message was basically map, 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 map. No, but at the end he goes And they figured out later on in the thing that this was like Latin and that he was saying save me because he was saying metier me, which sounded to me exactly like this. And this guy fell into Latin why? why because not? his idea of hell was Latin. Because like what? in hell, in hell, everyone speaks Latin apparently. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> That's no wonder it's a dead language. I have, have probably fits. reading Inferno. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just from he's just re, yeah, he's yeah. just being dramatic for dramatic effect. I see. Uh -huh. So okay, so well, whoever this is, movie for everyone. That's good. The denouement at the end of the movie is they figure out when they get to play more of the message because more of it's revealed that he was actually saying "Metier tuteme ex inferne," which means not save me, but save yourself from hell. Get off the ship. But they thought that he was trying to. It was really silly. There was all this great imagery, like the, the ship was an upside-down cross. It was in the shape of a cross flying upside-down, as nice. in, you know, the Satanism symbol and all that stuff. Did, did they go in circles? In Say nine circles? Hmm, did they? <laughs> they kind of did. It was really great. Oh, boy. I went, I went to this movie in high school with, like, eight girls. It was eight girls and me. And it was of hilarious there were nine because I was the only one who wasn't taking this seriously. <laughs> right. And they were freaked out. And I just kept bringing it up. And wasn't it great how it was an upside-down cross? And they're like, oh, my God, it was upside-down. <laughs> oh, no. They just kept screaming every time I explained more of the imagery. I see. According to IMDb, according to IMDb the, guy, the, the guy you're looking for is Sam Neill. And he has Sam Neill? Sam Neill, yeah. Yep. I he's, never would he's have come good up with though. That. I don't Sam even know. Sam Neil kicks name. ass. Yeah. Sam Neil was in Merlin and he's in a bunch of good stuff. I mean I I, I just I looked at yeah. on Horizon and the first actor listed is Lawrence Fishburne, and I'm pretty sure that you'd not confuse him with Sam Neil. 
Lawrence Fishburne was in that wow, movie? Wow, he was in that movie, wasn't he? Huh. That was Maybe that got him the Matrix gig. Who knows? Maybe oh, that Lord. weird sci-fi horror thing was like, now you'll be Morpheus because you were weirdo guy on a devil-enchanted uh, spaceship. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like too many ideas being thrown in. They're like, and then we'll have a serial killer. And then, like, this actually almost happened to the Abyss where, you know, they almost got to, they had the Marine who lost his mind and then they had, then that almost went overboard with how much stuff was going on in that movie. So, a little bit of a confusing mm-hmm. plot in that case, but, yeah. I would argue that this was one of the most fun films for Sam Neill to do, because at the end of the movie, the ship, which is possessed by hell, turns him into some kind of fiendish superhero, where he can, like, haunt and kill all the rest of the crew members who are trying to save the ship, and he just wants to bring it back to hell, because he's in love with the ship, and the ship loves... It's very strange. Wow. I definitely this recommend is really it if you want to... Terrible. If you have any religious friends that you know, and you want to scare them, this is the movie to send them to. <laughs> And since the title gives nothing of the you know event horizon, it's you know it's like machines and things. Yeah. And it's nothing. You know. Sounds like a Nova special on PBS <laughs> today. Or event horizon. horizon. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so, so while know. we're talking about things vaguely martial, I don't know if you guys have heard about the the nuclear missiles that went missing. For yes, a while. I just saw this today. <laughs> what? <laughs> you heard about this, Russ? This is funny. The airport said, no. uh, "Yeah." So apparently, I'm about a. Like a month or two ago, they accidentally shipped some nuclear missiles across the country, uh, and 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 thus lost track of them for a while. Right. Uh, today they announced the results of the investigation, which they punished seventy airmen, including apparently some fairly high up people, because uh, it turns out that there was a, a a company of a crew of people who were supposed to keep tabs on nuclear missiles <laughs> that this, that decided that you know they weren't really fond of the complex schedule under which the status of the missiles is tracked while they're disarmed. So instead, they came up with their own informal process. Oh, good. I like informal <laughs> nuclear tracking <laughs> systems. Did they use post-it notes, right? Like, number yeah, one, don't move this. Who's, it's, 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 who's it's, on missile watch? All right, I'll choose you for it. Ready? Odds, I got evens. Okay. Rock, Back paper, scissors. Go. Oh. One, two, three. Shoot. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 a little unclear. The, my favorite part of this whole story, though, is is the guy announcing it was, it was kind of a senior Pentagon commander of some sort. And he said that uh, in order to make the announcement, they had to make a one-time exception to the policy that says that we will never talk about where nuclear missiles are ever. Right. Except when we lose them. Yeah. <laughs> At which point, we can do that because we don't really know where we they were. Know. Yeah. Right. Well, no, if you read... Right. The other thing I read about that story <laughs> was that apparently they had authorized them to be moved, but they hadn't authorized them... They're supposed to be disarmed for obvious reasons because, you know, let's say the plane happens to crash it, it, with 12 armed nuclear missiles on board, right? They, they were actually... They were, they, it's sort of true. They were supposed to move the missiles without the warheads. So they were supposed to take the oh, warheads okay, okay. off and move the missiles to be decommissioned. They're just like, let's kill two birds with one stone. Or in this yeah. case, hundreds of thousands now, of birds fair, for hundreds of thousands of years. To be fair, Greg, to make another crappy action reference, the movie Broken Arrow informs me that you can actually destroy a nuclear weapon without detonating it. Yes. If you're lucky. Yes, I mean, it's this... not like if it crashes, then it won't necessarily blow up. Like only, you know, it has to be triggered in the right way. Right. So you can't sort of like shoot a nuclear missile with like an... Oh, and also the movie True Lies, where uh, they were flying the F-16s at the terrorists who were escaping across the Florida Keys with the nukes in the van. And they're like, can we shoot our missiles at the van with all the nukes in it? And they're like, yeah, it'll probably be fine. 
And that was uh, Tom Arnold, and he knows you know about nuclear security. So right. So the basis of movies, we were all examples for me. Sure, we were all safe. You know, we were sort of safe with that logic. True lies. But I, I had not read about that. I, I love the informal system, though. That is great. The informal filing system. You know, all these rules. This is just red tape getting in the way. Why don't we just? You know, we know Bob. It's not Bob like we're in a just, war or anything. You know, Bob's got a good memory. Bob, you just keep a Rolodex, right? Look, Greg. It's not like we're in a war or anything. I know. I know. It's true. You know, it, it's it's. Can you imagine who's left? I mean, who is on active duty that isn't, you know, currently in Iraq or Afghanistan? <laughs> these, are all like, these are all like Squad Five, or, or, you know. Like, I mean, Korea. apparently, apparently, the informal guys. Yeah, the ones who, yeah. who don't like things like rules and unloading things. Well, you know, you mentioned Korea. I remember reading an article maybe two weeks ago. It talked about how they're really trying to. Part of the reason they're really trying to push the, the peace talks with Korea is so that. Uh, they can, you know, take the 40,000 troops or whatever they're stationed in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> we can really use some more troops. Well, if we finally sign... mobilize them, right. Well, because remember, there's no peace treaty with Korea, right? It, it's it's, it's, right. All, it's all, you know, it's, it's the, the ceasefire armistice deal where, mm-hmm. you know, we're still technically at war. Right. So they figure if they can actually sign a peace deal, uh, get all the troops out of there, you know, it's like 40,000 more bodies we can throw at Iraq. Yeah, which would be great. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, can we just put scarecrows in the de- in the demilitarized zone <laughs> in Korea? Like, is anyone really approaching the barbed wire and like artillery, you know, emplacements and like, well, oh, are the Americans there today? No, attack, attack South Korea. Well, Nobody isn't Kim Jong Il? So. I heard Kim Jong Il was a big internet guy, so maybe we can just put like World of Warcraft dudes, like you know, pictures of things that will scare Kim Jong Il. He would be scared by things like that, right? Cardboard cutouts, maybe. I say we put broomsticks, broomsticks with helmets, go in the bunkers in the in Korea, and all those soldiers get shipped off to. Can, can you imagine the state government? Important job. They're like once again, South Korea has demonstrated its hostile intentions by placing a bunch of very, very scary-looking things in the demilitarized zone. We don't know what they are. None of our troops can approach them without running away, screaming in fear. And this shows you that we are oppressing, being oppressed by the people, and we, yeah, that would be pretty funny. That would actually. But what if, about the automated? We've got automated guns now. We have those guns with the motion sensors who just shoot at anything that moves. Can't we just put a bunch of those in the demilitarized zone and then send the troops away? What are they? Can you imagine how cushy your life must be if you're a troop and you're lucky enough to be stationed in Korea and you just sit in like the hotel, the embassy all day long and do nothing? But wait, wait. Can I play that back for you? What you just said was let's put a bunch of automatic guns in the quote demilitarized zone. Are you beginning to see some? Why don't we put a couple of automatic tanks in the demilitarized, the non-milit, the zone where there's no military, the demilitarized zone? If one side completely dominates the security of a demilitarized zone, then it is demilitarized because there's no military conflict. It's just a bunch of unused artillery, you know, emplacements and guns and things that nobody will threaten because it's too scary. You're just taking this from our video game, Russ, where we want to put, like, automatic defenses everywhere. Just build a bunker, and if you build a bunker, then you could just fire automatically, and that'll be great. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. Do you think the fact that I've been playing a World War II strategy game for the last four hours has any impact <laughs> on, like, what I'm thinking right now? <laughs> None whatsoever. Why don't we just get a bunch of howitzers? Howitzers? Okay. Yeah, they were great in World War II. we get some Luftwaffen. <laughs> exactly. We'll get some Luftwaffen and some Nebelwerfers, and we'll bring out a couple Sturgs and some Panzerschrecks, and then uh, we'll go get them. Yeah. Well, I, I should I don't say. Know anything about that stuff? <laughs> you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a, a friend of a friend of mine, who's a, also a former Brandeis debater, he's serving in the IDF in the Israeli Army, and he came back uh, here for about a week, and he was talking about some things they're doing, and he mentioned that uh, he got a new gun recently, 
the Browning. Now, if you recall, the Browning oh, is from Browning. World War One. Yeah. And the mighty Israeli mm-hmm. army, which, from what I understand, does not lack for funds or training or anything, they're still using the Browning because it, it doesn't jam. You know, it, it's it's a good gun. It's an oldie but goodie. Yeah, and he talked about how how you know part of what his job is in the army is to scout out the hills for when they invade Syria. You know, because of course that that's what they plan for. And and I'm thinking, has warfare never you know has, has warfare not really changed in the last like two thousand years? Not that in the Middle East. Scout out the hill. Take the high ground. Well, that's the thing. Like, no matter how, you know, super deluxe the weapons get, ultimately there are a couple of basics. You know, never try to t- attack an elevated position. You know, Don't get uh, a land war in Asia. Don't get a land war in Asia. And, and you, you can't right. win a land war with air power alone. You know, I mean, things like that, right? So, I guess never there is... Never going against the Sicilian when death is death on is the on line. Death is on the line. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I don't think that <laughs> word means what you think it is on it means. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I don't know. I mean, there are basic sort of military strategies, I guess, that everybody just has a tendency to use. And, you know, oddly, I guess that's sort of what connects the generals with each other. Because to me, it's sort of hard. Like, if you look back at, like, General Robert E. Lee, who basically kept the South in the Civil War for four years, when the South really, by all rights, should have been just bulldozed by the North because the North had all the resources. Or when you look at a general like Napoleon before the whole Waterloo problem. But, you know, Napoleon, who was this brilliant military strategist. And you look at, you know, Hannibal and, you know, even all those guys. And then you come and you look at these sort of modern people. Like, everyone talks about how Schwarzkopf is a genius. What did Schwar- I mean? What militarily did Schwarzkopf do? What has a general in Iraq done now that sort of makes them brilliant military strategists in the same way? You know what I mean? Like, there's no creating of formations or I developed this or I developed that. Now they just sort of go, okay, send a bunch of guys here and you send a bunch of guys there. Like, we never hear about, oh, I'm going to faint in this direction, then go around the other side, and then I'm going to flank them on this side. We don't hear about that kind of military well, stuff because it's all just that's computerized. That's irrelevant. You know. When- when you can push a button and shoot a guided missile, you know, 50 miles to a target where, you know, you don't have to have anyone within danger range. Unless you can shoot it down I mean, with a brownie. Just hit it, the, the just hit it the engine. argument as to why Joe Torre shouldn't be given all the credit for the Yankees. Like, is he really one of the great managers because he's managing a $200 million team? Shouldn't he be winning 90 games every year? You know, it's the same exact thing. He's got the greatest military force in the history of the world on his side. I and think I, that speaks for something. I think this is a great analogy because, of course, baseball also continues to use the same uh, weapons, if you will, that it used to. And things have certainly not advanced at all. No one ever uses any kind of, you know, enhancements, <laughs> uh, chemical enhancements, for example. Well, come on, Greg. They used chemical enhancements back then. They just didn't work. You don't think guys in the 50s <laughs> were, like, gulping down DDT to help them hit the baseball? They didn't know any better. They just weren't as precise. They're like the nuclear missile watchers. They're just not very precise. They're like, well, if Babe Ruth eats 17 hot dogs before a game and he's so good, maybe I should do that. You know, right. Why not? And then they just got fat. They're like, God damn it, this worked for him. What? I don't understand. Yeah. yeah it's kind of a... What's the secret ingredient? Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> Sports science was very weird, even up to, like, the 50s and 60s. Like, sports NBA science? players never worked out. Yeah, man, sports yeah, science. Yeah, sports science. That's even a degree today. NBA players, you get degrees in sports they science. never lifted weights because it was considered to be bad for your jump shot if you had, like, a muscular body. You were supposed to have a smooth, you know, more ballet-like, graceful body to play in the NBA. And then, of course, I'm sorry, you know, up, now up, up all these guys when? are huge and muscular. Up till when? Up until, like, the 70s. I'm thinking of, like, the Celtics, the great Celtics teams. I'm not sure that many of them could be described as ballet like <laughs> If you look at classic basketball players, especially from the ABA, like in the 70s, okay. um, these I were mean. all extremely lanky, stringy, 
thin guys. They were not muscular at all. I mean, they could jump and they could run, but they weren't the type of bulldozers that you found, especially in the early 90s, like the Charles Oakleys, and even Jordan was a workout fiend, but before him, they well, just thought it wasn't good. I mean, Charles Oakley was kind of a thug. It was like a mess up your jump shot. Ba- basically, he you know, he, being not a criminal would have messed up his jump shot. Like, that's basically the situation with Oakley, <laughs> and, and much of the people that were there. Um, I'm actually looking in to see about some of these uh, conditions. See, the problem is you put up sports science, and it's all this modern stuff. Like, I pull up some sports science, and the number one is the Gatorade Sports Science Institute, which, uh, you know, has a whole big section for hydration, sports nutrition, training, and performance. Yes. I always thought that was just the figment of a commercial's imagination. No, no. they they, here in the imaginary room where Derek (laughs) Jeter films commercials, we're studying things like how much sugar to put in your drink and how much we can lower the cost on the bitters of the containers that make your Gatorade. No, man. Check it it out. It it says that uh, headquartered in Barrington, Illinois, the Gatorade Sports Science Institute, or GSSI, is a research and educational facility established in 1988 to share current information and expand knowledge on sports nutrition and exercise science that enhance the performance and well-being of athletes. Materials and services of the Institute are designed as educational tools for sports health professionals. They study the effects of exercise, the environment, and nutrition on the human body using the latest scientific technology and equipment. They also work with leading scientists around the world. The Institute currently serves nearly 110,000 members in over 145 countries worldwide, including Korea. I made that part up. You know what that is? What's that? It's one guy in a room with a glass of corn syrup, and he's pouring it into another glass of water. And he takes sips. He's like, mmm, that makes me feel yucky. Less <laughs> corn syrup. And then that's it. No, look that's at these the articles, man. He's got articles like sickle cell traits and the athlete, heat-related illnesses. Should athletes stretch before exercise? Greg, I'm now convinced, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm a little worried about telling you guys this, but uh, I'm convinced of this legitimacy because it, I just read it on Wikipedia. Oh, see now, there's clearly there's no legitimacy uh, here at all. There's a Wikipedia entry. <laughs> shame, sir, shame. There's a Wikipedia entry on sports science, and uh, apparently it's related to the discipline of human movement. Okay. Um, and uh, let's see, what do we got here? The study of sports science yeah, traditionally... Yeah, you like the motion trackers. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the study of sports science traditionally incorporates areas of... Physiology, psychology, motor control, and biomechanics, but also includes other topics such as nutrition and diet, sports technology, anthropometry, and performance analysis. I also see. Also performance enhancement. I see. Okay, uh, that's interesting. Anthropometry, huh? Yeah, I, it, see, it's a helpful link here, so I have to click on it to see what exactly that is. Now, see, now... This is- Human being's ability to use meters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the measurement like versus uh, measurement of living human individuals for the purposes of understanding human physical variation. Right, which is unfortunate. So it's measuring people. Is this is this like the the elbow to the middle finger is the same length as your foot and all that nonsense? You know those ratios that are supposed to exist in the human body, yeah. like your wingspan is supposed to be the same length as how tall you are. Maybe. And uh, the distance between like your ankle to your foot is the same distance, so you can kick someone in the face well, really actually, hard or something. You know, it's funny is that in the in in you know in the early 20th century and the late 19th century, you had a whole thing which I believe was called phrenology, if I'm not mistaken, which involved oh, the measuring yeah, of bumps, the bump measuring of bumps on the head, so you could like determine if someone was more likely to be alleged a criminal or someone who was more creative or someone who liked the sciences based upon the bumps they had on their head and where it happened. So that's the rock-solid scientific basis from which anthropomody, anthropomody 
Pomodani. What is it? That's Have what? you ever seen those model heads with like the graphs on them from the uh, uh, yes, the anthropometry, yes. where it would show like different parts of the head and what that bump would mean? Yeah, 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 that, yeah, yeah. That part Abs- of the head. Absolutely, yeah. Those are great. Yeah, I got to see if I can find that. I note with some amusement that I just found an article on the Gatorade Sports Science Institute that says energy drinks help harm or hype. I don't think I'm even going to go there. Can you take a guess as to whether energy drinks are going to be helpful from the Gatorade Sports Science Institute? I'm just checking. I'm going to put my money on maybe. (laughs) Here we go. Phrenology. Oh, oh, this main aim is page to advocate a positive approach to scientific phrenology. Why are you looking at it on the web when you have Wikipedia? Well, well yeah, exactly. Right, right here is a whole intro in phrenology. <laughs> because it's, I think Wiki- got, Wikipedia the is the phrenology of the internet. That's very, I think that's very true. It's, it's got, it's, it's got the, Greek, uh, the, the Greek pronunciation here. See, this guy here that's claims, right. this the guy... Evil at, clown. The clown felt the bumps on our head, and he decided we were an evil Wikipedia page. And he's like, this must be bad, because there's a word in here I don't like. Cannot sleep. Bumps on clown's head show he will eat me. That's that's basically what the email was. So, no, uh, according to this guy, which you can find at phrenology.org, that uh, the real scientific phrenology, which established a direct link between the morphology of the skull and the human character, was discovered by the Austrian physician Franz Josef Gall. Uh, and later on, phrenology was uh, taken over, he said, by con men who have given the science a bad name. Uh, but actually, phrenology is a different situation um, because psychoanalysis and if has attacked. Fifteen ninety nine plus six ninety five shipping and handling. He's right. going to tell you why. Well, what's interesting is he says much of the criticism against phrenology can be easily dismissed. The moment has come to advocate a positive approach to scientific phrenology, which is to be considered a valuable and powerful instrument for self-knowledge, self-achievement, education, human relationships, human resources, and law enforcement. Phrenology is a true science which is there to benefit humanity. But get this. It says Turn to the left, please. <laughs> Turn to the right. Your little bumpy. Little bumpy. Right, now kneel down. We're going to feel your head for a second. Right, Jesus, Bob, you feel that now. bump? Get him in a jail cell. Stat. <laughs> He's got the axe murderer bump. Yeah, but check this out yeah, though. Put him away. He says the moment has come to advocate a positive approach to scientific phrenology, right? The last update was May 1998. <laughs> Apparently the moment has come and gone for for the future of phrenology to exist. He has given He's up been on phrenology. For ten years, any Stay day tuned, now. maybe they'll have a... be like, I have it. Yeah. Stay the tuned, maybe. Bumps mean everything. <laughs> maybe they'll have a tenth anniversary soon. Oh my god, can you imagine? You know, there was another science that I studied about in uh, high school, which was similar to phrenology, but it had more to do with the correlations between, like, smart people and wearing glasses, because that's a very common stereotype. And But there was a science that undertook this to say, well, is it possible that people who have a higher intelligence are more likely to have eye disorders or something like that? I think that's like a sister school to phrenology. And it was always interesting to me that nobody could ever prove that, even though it seemed kind of obvious. Well, you know, arguably, even though genetics, obviously there are some genetic predispositions to certain things, it seems like genetics applied in the wrong way could be in some ways no better than phrenology, right? Because they're drawing the wrong conclusions. The problem is genetics generally is backed up by science, but if you take specific branches of it and use them for improper purposes, I think it would have just the same danger as phrenology would have, right? We agree. Misuse of science, then it's no good. No, no, but I mean, uh, you know, there's a tendency. No, I, I, I didn't like mean. that guy, that guy who was in the news, who who's like the Nobel Prize winner for some genetic 
study that he did, but he also, his comments last week were to the effect that um, people, you know, black people have a lesser intelligence. He made this argument from Watson. like the 1800 eugenics movement. Again, yeah, Watson, Watson. he said this last week. He, he reiterated, he's like, well, anyone who's had an employee of this race knows what I'm talking about. And I'm like, that's it? That's what you're relying this controversial argument on? Is your anecdotal, you didn't like the person who worked for you that was black? Hey, man, nothing better than... all stupid? Nothing well, better than anecdotal evidence. Well, that's all, you know, you can't tell me that, you know. What's amazing is that this guy discovered DNA. Like, this is not just some random guy. This right. is This is, this is the... The Watson of Quicken Watson. The other thing that's amazing, though, is... Uh, so I saw this, this story popped up, what, like, two days ago? Two or three days ago? And the first, you know, the first yep. time it popped up, it was this little, oh my god, Watson says this crazy, crazy shit. And then, as you, you know, I saw I saw the same story kind of grow over the next couple of days, yeah. where they kept adding to it. It turns out that he also said, in 1994... And in 1998... Uh, really? I didn't see There's, that. like, a whole history... So he's done this for a while? Oh, yeah, he's, he's done a lot of really bad stuff for a while and he just keeps getting a pass because you have he have a calendar <laughs> in his office that's like every few years he has to make some really oh i haven't made a racist it. statement right. in three years oh well <laughs> yeah. time to do it again well and the other oh, the other crap april 1st again all right women are from mars <laughs> venus and men are from mars <laughs> what outstanding I, i'm a nobel prize winner shut up it's true it's all true wow the You're the crazy. the other great part about the story i think is uh because you know so many great parts is that his his excuse so or so he issues the apology and it's the most non-apology apology because this is you know I'm I'm deeply sorry for for all the offense that, that I've caused and so forth and uh, when asked you know how could you say that he he said well I I can't believe that I would have said that except that he's not denying that he said it because in fact you know it's on tape because this is, this is like in a formal interview so he's basically saying I I. Must have just had a had a moment. I I I, I, I don't know what <laughs> I happened. I just I, I, I can't wake believe up one that day I said and I'm that. What's up with that? That's I can certainly true. understand. Have you ever given an entire speech and blacked out and not remembered anything that you said exactly. over a forty-five minute lecture? Oh sure, that happens to me all the time. No, this gets back to what we were talking about a few shows ago, um, maybe ten to fifteen shows ago, I guess, where we were talking about the whole Michael Richards thing, and you know, and how he was like, oh, you know, it was just a slip, and I, and we were talking about how when we slip. We don't slip and say racial epithet. Like, that's not, that's not, when I slip, I say something that I don't mean to say. Like, when you slip, you tend to say things that you genuinely mean, or you say something which gets misconstrued. Like, you say, well, that's stupid. And they say, you really think he's stupid? And you're like, no, I'm being sarcastic or something like that. But you don't say, well, you know what they say about, and then you throw in some racial slur. And then everyone's like, really? And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say, can you hand me the butter? Like, I mean, like, you, <laughs> that's not the way these slips actually work, you know? And so, obviously, this guy, this is, it's not just a mistake. This is what happens, you know? He, this is what he honestly believes. You know, racist? Yeah, I mean, you I know just... when that was? What was a long, long time ago. That was Mepreport 57. Wow, that, that was, was a long time ago. 35 MEPs ago. That is a long time ago, no question about oh. that. Wow. I don't know what to say. He hasn't worked since. And I guess not. Oh, and, and as I pull this up, Ropper Na Nass confirms yep. new album title will be Epithet. <laughs> the album's title would be spelled N-I-G-G-A. And he says, people shouldn't trip oh, off. Great. And then he says for his description, people shouldn't trip off the album's title. The songs are crazier than the title. So he's like, no, don't <laughs> worry about that. It's much worse in the songs inside the album. <laughs> if you're going to, you know, if you're going to be protesting, <laughs> protest the right thing, you know? No, no, if you read that, there's a great quote in here. It talks, he says, And to my older people who don't know who Nass is and who don't know what, it, what a street disciple is, stay out of this. 
exploitative conversation. We'll talk to you when we're ready. Right now, we're in a whole new movement. We're, ta- we're taking power from that word. And really? Yeah, that's just... And then he says, and then he goes on to say, no disrespect to none of them who were part of the civil rights movement, but some in the streets don't know who Medgar Evers was. They know who Nass is. Okay, so you're like, okay, really I'm the new Medgar Evers by saying N-I-G-G-A. That's... That's the, the term. Because, I mean, the, you know... Or by saying people are ignorant, and so if I don't scream it in their face right now, they're certainly not going to pick up a book and try to learn about what actually happened yeah. during the Civil Rights Movement. So yeah. better have some explicit rap lyrics. It's the only way to teach people. <laughs> He's right. Well, I mean, you know, the truth is, I mean, there's been some discussion of that, the idea that you sort of take power back from the word, uh, and there has been a movement even in the homosexual community. Some homosexuals call each other fags, and their claim is that they're doing that literally to take away power from the use of the word. Okay, I can understand that. I just have a hard time believing that a guy who literally is producing this album to sell in the millions of dollars and says, like, you know, there's much worse inside the album, really had this careful, considered, you know, will this be something that will take power from the oppressors? What do you think, John, Bob, Stan, Steve? And they're no. all like, we think that's a good idea, Nas. <laughs> Go right ahead and do whatever you want to do. Ha <laughs> like, I mean, He's saying you know, this to white executives, that's, right? It's a totally valid argument, Greg. I've even heard, it's a totally valid argument. I've even heard that there are a lot of Tibetans who have been committing suicide recently so that they can stop the Chinese genocide because they're taking the power into their own hands. And they <laughs> say, if I blow my brains out, then the Chinese can't do it to me. We will free and Tibet totally by killing Tibet. Form of expression. <laughs> Kill me? Screw you! I Can you imagine myself. that? And my family first. Putting a bumper sticker that like says that? "Kill Tibet." My family's dead. Exactly. Now, Put well, a bumper sticker that yeah. says "Kill Tibet" on your car, and everyone's like, "How can no, you say that?" You're like, "No, we're seizing power." Kill themselves. Oh, yeah. okay. Right. Since Russ, right. since Russ needs to rise into the challenge, I, I, I am going to play the devil's advocate just a little bit here. Because I can think of at least mm-hmm. one very prominent example where you know a derogatory term has been reclaimed by a community where, where it was actually a pretty conscious effort, um, and the word is queer. Where if you yeah. if you you know ask if you just look around the the community you'll find that a lot of people like there was at some point I think a conscious decision within the movement to say yeah. we're going to reclaim the word yeah so I wonder whether I wonder mm-hmm. whether you know this is kind of a a, a, a a bastardized version of bastardized version of trying to do the same thing but see it was the it's the sort of movement generally came to it right it wasn't like one guy said you know what we should do like I mean and that's the well thing. yeah like, but but I don't is, think, I mean this isn't the first guy who's doing this I guess not. Yeah, I guess not. I guess that's true. Also, well, it's like they, I guess they feel like they've seized the queer territory and they're moving on to the front lines of faggot. And if they can conquer that, then they've captured you know most of the derogatory terms that are in and the then, mainstream. And then they can build bunkers, Russ. Automatic bunkers of words. Can they no, do that? And then, and then they then they lynch themselves. Oh. Then they go, okay, now we lynch ourselves. Now we've taken power away, away from, from that. Community. Yes, exactly, exactly. Isn't that tremendous? Oh my God! It is funny. I mean, and I don't know what to say about it because it, it's it's weird. It's like there are some. This is like when we were talking about the idea of of the Holocaust and the fact that you can use or quote like anything that the Nazis said, anything that they use, like automatically becomes persona non grata, like the thing we were talking about with the swastika and everything. And so in that regard, I mean, this this I, I wonder about whether or not is there an end date on that language? Is there an end date on all of these things, or is it one of those things where eventually we get to the point where we can recapture it? Because clearly. Are you, like, waiting for 2041 when the swastikas are, are okay again? <laughs> no, but it's, no, but it's like, but that clearly is a sort of permanent no ever, right? I would think that the word, that I would think that the N-word would still be called the N-word for that same reason. I'm just wondering why that word is now in the process of being recaptured, but no. we still can't recapture the swastika or anything like that. I don't think we should recapture the swastika. I also don't think we should recapture the N-word. stupid tactic. You know? 
because it's stupid. You shouldn't recapture any of it. You either expunge it or expunge the people who've used it, or you move on. And the, how can you? I mean, imagine like, okay, you're in a bad relationship, right? And your girlfriend this is going to be a fun analogy. I really can tell. A person. <laughs> And the way that you move on is that every person that you meet that's female for the rest of your life, you call Cindy, because Cindy was the name of your horrible ex-girlfriend. Like, what? That's not owning anything. That's just tormenting yourself needlessly in a stupid way. It's just like, let it go, man. Move on. But what if you like the name every Susie? Other woman... Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Notice how I used all it these names to protect sense. the innocent. Yes. Um, no, I, mean, I guess it doesn't. It's basically a half a step of logic away from I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces <laughs> off me and sticks well, to you. See the problem. It's basically the same. Yeah, but see, here's the problem. The theory is this: if people still want to use the word, the uh, basically what recapturing it says to me is, we think that the word is going to be used regardless. We're going to do an end run around it by saying it's like the self-deprecating humor, right? If you go around telling yourself, I mean, like we talked about the overreaction theory, which is if you do something, like say you get someplace late, which I have certainly done in the past. I get someplace late, right? The way to get around being, you know, sort of called out for that is by so overreacting to your own mistake that no one could possibly overcome it. It's just, I'm such an oh, I hate myself, oh and then start punch, you know, like hitting the wall why am I always late you know, then what are they going to do, like they can't up the end, they're like, oh, that's, a, that's okay swear man I where this was an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm the, the, <laughs> was it really? Yeah I mean, no, I mean I'm mean, i not saying really? it's original with I, me, I would believe I, that other people I, I, do this, I, I mean I have to look it up I mean that would just be well, my theory, what I think this is, but that's the same thing, self-deprecation Larry David's tactic of when he gets into a fight, he feigns a heart attack because <laughs> nobody's going to beat him up if he's already dying. And so basically, <laughs> That's a great idea. It's the coward's way out. No. It's very similar to my own tactic, which I invented. Like, if you're getting mugged, instead of trying to run away or act scared, you just have to act like a crazy person. So you start hitting yourself in the head or drooling on yourself, or if you have it in you, like, vomit all over yourself. Like, do you say, like, man and me, man and me, man and me? You're like, wait. Yeah. <laughs> If you could somehow make your head spin around like in The Exorcist, and no one would ever mug you, they would just bail out right, right then. I just want to make that clear. You know? Yeah, you have to stab yourself in the leg with scissors like a half dozen times or so oh, while you're smiling and chanting like curses and stuff. At that you point, know, like Russ, the, I might take the mugging name? if I have to stab myself. Well, if you cut your head off, then they won't <laughs> mug you because that's just weird. No, it's an o only the overreaction where it's not like if someone's mugging you and then you like tap yourself on the chest and you go, ow. See, well, I already do it. They're like, so? It's a middle ground, right? Give me right? your wallet. No, you have to be like, bleh, 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 choking myself, I'm a crazy whore, bleh, bleh. And they're like, okay, I'm going to leave now. Or they might be like, yeah, whatever, give me your wallet. They're like, damn it, it didn't work. Let me try that again. I don't or you know. could puke on your wallet, I guess. And then give it, and then offer it to them gladly. Here you go. My dad, subs my dad subscribed to this theory on the road. I want to segue into Kevin, poor Kevin's trip down here. But my, <laughs> my dad subscribed to this theory on the road because my dad's theory was if someone cut you off or did something, what you needed to do, and I'm not making this up, he actually said this, you needed to make it so unpleasant for them that they would never do that again to somebody else, right? So they, <laughs> he did this once where uh, this he got cut off by this Cadillac. This was, was this before road rage, rage laws? This is, <laughs> exactly. This is pre-road yeah. rage. 
rage. This is the why to road rage. This is the phrenology of road rage, right? <laughs> and that's what happened. Like he he got cut off by this Cadillac, and and I kid you not. So he was, and the guy is like, cut him off. My dad's like, oh. So he leans on the horn for one mile, like literally. He's following the guy at forty miles an hour for one mile. Right? And the guy, like at first the guy's like, oh, and then the guy's like, and you can see him quieting down. And then the guy slowly starts speeding up, and my dad speeds up and everything. And now you can see the guy is clearly nervous because there's also there's no cell phone or anything, right? So he's just like, you know, he's running through. And finally, the guy like practically runs a red light to escape my father. He's like, ah! And he like runs. <laughs> <laughs> red light. It was hilarious. Like the whole way up the hill. Whoa! Round curves. Whoa! Down the road. Whoa! Oh, it was so <laughs> funny. And then like he had used it so much, the horn isn't meant to be done that long, so it started like it was like whoa! Like it was draining the battery or something because it had been going on so long. <laughs> and that, my dad said he's like. And afterwards he's like, died. that man will never. Uh, that guy will never do that again. I'm like, or he'll find. He'll find a freaking you know special forces squad or, and capture you this freaking michigan militia or he's I, learned a new tactic to deal with unskilled motorists which is the laying on your horn for an hour because it scares the hell out of them yes that's brilliant that might I also work. To do that every time somebody pisses me off spread the good ideas or, that's right this is great did, now so i have to ask kevin pass, pass it forward i have to ask did this pass run did you run into any of this during your six hour epic or pay it forward. and i want you to explain Sorry. not only how long pay it, it took but what you did to survive this trip because i find this very funny this is hilarious well, the, the the trip was so I, I drove from Boston to to New York, which is a trip that typically takes between somewhere between three and four hours, usually right. three and a half four hours. Right. It took me about six. Now, I started out from, from BU, and it took me about an hour and a half to get to Waltham. Um, for those familiar with Massachusetts, oh Ma- God, yeah, not good. Yeah, for those who are familiar with Massachusetts, Massachusetts yeah. geography, that's like ten miles. Right. <laughs> and then I basically sat in the Mass Pike. Going maybe an average of ten miles an hour until I get out of the state, oh. and, and out that was of the a, state the whole time, most of oh. it, and, oh. and 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 then I was okay except except for uh, this, this this road in Connecticut Route 15 where it was fine except for the three places where there was just random stoppage and it wasn't even like an accident or or a merge. Yeah, just everyone at once decides to slow down. I well, love that. yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. we just stood there for a while and then it's like there was a light except that there was no light. <laughs> But so, so maybe they could see the light. Yeah. yeah. So so to answer Greg's question, what what I did, because um, I wanted to to get here in time to join you guys, uh, you know, despite the fact that I said look at here like two hours late, <laughs> was uh, I, I I didn't have dinner. I had kind of a latest lunch today, but I wanted I wanted something in the car to snack on, so I had some some beef jerky. Yeah, but but see, I just had this image of him being. He's like he described it to me because he called me it's, when he's up in Boston, food. and he's like, okay, I'm I'm finally. It took me an hour to get to Waltham, or I'm like, oh, or you're. He's like, well, I'm you know I'm eating some beef jerky. I just had this image of this guy stuck in his car, like must survive beef jerky, and then you know and he start like you know, all of a sudden he's like stuck in some, like, you know, snowbank somewhere eating beef jerky. Well, th- there's also a story behind this particular kind of uh, collection of beef jerky because... Uh, collection I, of beef jerky. Collection, yeah. Because I live around the corner from a Wild Oats supermarket. Okay. Like, literally around the corner. And uh, as you may have heard, uh, Wild Oats just got acquired a few months back by Whole Foods, and there was a big controversy and, and whatever. Yeah. And I walk in there the other day, and they have a giant sign that everything is 40% off. Because, in fact, they are clearing out the store. So what you chose to spend your 40% off on was beef jerky? Well, it was non-perishables. I'm not gonna buy. I'm not gonna buy like the bananas that have been sitting there for. So, did you have baked beans in your car? I just want to double check. Like beef jerky, baked no, beans. No, no, we actually corn. we actually bought a bunch of stuff that um that that's light and non-perishable that we're gonna ship to our friend in Madagascar. 
Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. It, it's hard to get some good. It's, it's hard to get. Well, it's hard, hard to get, get good beef jerky. I mean, it, to be fair, it's hard to get. It's hard to get beef. Period. It's hard to get meat in Madagascar. Okay. Uh, but particularly, you know, good peppered beef jerky. I see. So, what do you, rest? Do you are you? Uh, you're so quiet because you love beef jerky, and you're like, how could you have eaten the beef jerky? Is that is that what's going on here? Yeah, I actually am in Madagascar right now. <laughs> for fighting for beef jerky. It's. I. I have had the situation where uh, I had like a couple of, and I. It's one of those things where I always think that I've loaded up the car with more stuff than I actually had. You know, like it used to be when I was back in college. I don't know if if any MEP listener can identify with this. Back in college, I used to carry everything in my goddamn car. Everything. Like I had in the back, I had a basketball, a wiffle ball, a kite, a tennis racket, an extra couple set of tennis balls. I used to carry like a frisbee or two frisbees. I had a Nerf football in case the original football went flat. I had an air pump to pump up the football in case that went flat. I had, you know, the extra spare tire in the back. I had a couple of extra books. I had a blanket. I had, I mean, like I had every damn thing. And then I had obviously in the glove compartment besides maps, I had peanut butter crackers and... Were you once a Boy Scout? No, I was not. Just thought I'd ask. I did read the magazine Boy's Life. Um, How about a, were you once a pack rat? (laughs) I refuse to deny it. Well, wait, Clea's not here. No, certainly I was a pack. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I had like all, no, I figured at some point I would need all this stuff. So occasionally, like a girlfriend of mine would be like, why don't you go through and clean this stuff up? And I'm like, I've already got this down to the bare essentials. And she's like, the bare essentials? I'm like, look, if I need to play a game of football somewhere... And the, my football's gone flat. What am I going to use? She's like, well, can't you just throw the Frisbee? I'm like, not if I want to play football. It's about getting the, uh, you know, what you actually need in there. So I would carry uh, peanut butter crackers. I would carry granola bars. Um, you know, all non-perishable stuff. This is a new level of preparedness. Yeah. Because this is not survivalism anymore. <laughs> this is like, I need to have all of the equipment necessary for the most fun day possible of 18 different varieties. Right, exactly. And if the most fun day possible of variety 17 is having a picnic with jars of maple syrup, because that's going to be fun, I just have to be in the car. There you go, I had a fishing and pole. all the contingencies oh, yeah. for all of the 18 most fun days I can have are in the car. That's it, man, that's it. That's exactly that right. I wanted to get back to talking about rage because I don't know. Rage seems like a, a good topic. <laughs> okay. I read the story today about uh, the Stephen King novel. Yeah. Yes. Also. Good stuff. I read the story today about the woman who who um, broke a Comcast office with a hammer. So apparently this the whole office. I read about yeah, that. Yeah. So, office. So this seventy-five. Like she was like seventy-five. She's seventy-five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mona quote the hammer Shaw. <laughs> Got 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 Moda. the hammer Shaw. She yeah. She, apparently she got. I mean, sorry, it was in the Washington Post, and and she, she got she got screwed by Comcast, where like they didn't come for the to do her cable or whatever. Okay. And so some some story she really got screwed customer service. So she she showed up to the, she went to to the office because um you know she she had the time, and um and and they blew her off, and then they made her sit there for two hours, and then so the manager left. And then she came back the next day with a claw hammer and started smashing things left and right. And uh, apparently when they came to arrest her, she, she said, you know, just hold on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> she, I, wish I, can, I wish I can find this, uh, find, find the exact thing. But basically, she told the cops to wait while she broke the phone. 
while, I, while I, she, you made sure to get, to get one more smack in. <laughs> I, I'd love to hear if the cops allowed her to do that. They're like, all right, all right, all right, just hang uh, on. The, uh, She's 75. Uh, come on here. He, here it is. She, uh, quote, hammer time. Shaw stores in the company's hammer office. Time. Bam. She whacks the keyboard of the customer service rep. Bam. Down goes the monitor. Bam. She totals the telephone. People scr- scatter, scream, cops show up, and what does she do? Pow. A parting shot to the phone. They cuffed me right then, she says. That, see, and you know what I think is funny is the fact that... Didn't she also get an apology from Comcast? Uh, <laughs> they apologized for that. No. They were like, we're sorry that we made you so mad that you broke all our shit. Not in this article. I think that's what Not happened. in this article. Actually, in this article, in this article they're, they're, kind of, uh, they're kind of slamming her, and they're saying, well, we can't talk about the customer records because, uh, uh, you know, privacy and whatever, but... Uh, but we can say you shouldn't have taken out our office with a freaking hammer. No, no, no. But but but, but it, it, apparently they're claiming that that you know she was she was more of a th- there was more more to the story. Uh, she received, by the way, a three month suspended sentence, uh, of like a three hundred dollar fine, and a year long restraining order, barring her from the Comcast office. A, a suspended sentence. You know what this proves to me? This proves to me that older people and children can get away with anything. I swear, if you want to be a terrorist, you should be 80 years old. And they'll be like, oh, well, Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe, you go ahead and plant that bomb if you want. Because he's 80 years old. What do you, it's Uncle Joe. Come on. Like, basically, you're screwed. I'm if, old. Yeah, exactly. I forgot. You're not supposed to kill people. Exactly. I don't know. If you're between I the forgot. ages of 15 and 75, you're screwed. If you're pre-15 or post-75, you are all good to do whatever the hell you want in society I've concluded. That's basically what it is. How could you possibly give her a suspended sentence? They're like, oh well, we understand. You know, it was you had a bad customer service situation, so you, you know, took things into your own hands with your damn hammer. That's that's great. And it's because she said, look, if she's a 35, let me ask you this. If she's a 35-year-old, if she's the rapper Nas who goes into Comcast and says, I, you know, you need to show my album on pay-per-view, my concert, and then starts beating it up with a hammer, do you think they give him a suspended sentence? Do you? Is that what happens here? 25 to life. Yeah, exactly. 25 And then he sells life. lots of records, but that's that irrelevant. That guy <laughs> is in maximum security I, I know, for man. the rest of his life. You know? Yep. That's completely a uh, double standard. It's ridiculous. All right. Since uh, Russ, since Russ has got to get going to an appointment, and uh, we've we're a little bit short of an hour, but you know reasonably close, we're gonna call it an hour. Uh, we want to thank everyone for checking us out as always. Especially want to thank Kevin. Thanks a lot for coming and uh, you know surviving with the beef jerky. And <laughs> we hope we will not hear you hitting things with a hammer. And uh, Russ has just bailed out of the room because he has to leave. And so on that note, <laughs> Russ is back. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see you guys next panicky. week. Go. Say goodbye, everybody. It was great to see you, Kevin. Okay. KG, the real KG. The important man in me. Man in me. Man in me. Ex-phrenology. Hey, Joe. The proceeding was a presentation of the MEP Report, hosted at www.mepreport.com. All rights reserved. In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron. Or at least not the stupid one of the cars. Please support the MEP Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for MEP link on the MEP Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at Greg, Russ, Story, or Andy at mepreport.com, and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu plants. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little bit gross. Just another day away